one pitch, swing and a drive, deep to right field, way up there, way out of here, goodbye baseball. Eight strikeouts the- for the King tonight and make it 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right. Welcome back, Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast, at Mariners Pod on Twitter. Of course, the advantage, you know exactly when MLB posts the podcast. You'll be alerted at the very second it is up and available. The times kind of change, to give you the inside. So I, I do the podcast. I send it into MLB, and then they post it. Usually... Roughly 2, 3 in the morning, sometimes a little after, but if you follow that Mariner's Pod, you know right away when it's up. So you can get the podcast, of course, on iTunes. Subscribe there. You can see it at Mariners.com. It's on Stitcher. It's on TuneIn as well. And any other place you might want it that it's not up yet, let me know. I can probably make that happen. So you can tweet me at Gary Hill Jr. and always send me an email. GaryHillPXP at gmail.com. I haven't talked about that a lot yet this year. Uh, We're just kind of getting rolling here the first couple weeks of the podcast. But I am opening the mailbag. So any questions you have along the way, I I love research projects. I still have a couple going, but I will uh, try and fulfill your requests the best I can. A couple fell through last year, but uh, I got to quite a few last year. So, yeah, anything you're interested in, anything you'd like to know, feel free. At Gary Hill Jr. on Twitter, GaryHillPXP at gmail.com. You can reach me by email at any point. So this is going to be a fun podcast. We have a lot coming up. What I was planning (laughs) right off the bat is turning to our Cleveland Indians preview and our guest, but that fell through. So we're not going to talk in depth about the Cleveland Indians. I will go over the series real quick because I think it's going to be a very interesting three-game series, and I'm fascinated by the pitching matchups. So I'll touch on each, and hopefully we'll have the more in-depth Indians conversation coming up tomorrow. I'm pretty fascinated by Cleveland in general. So, yeah, we'll have that. hopefully have that conversation coming up tomorrow. But this is going to be a great one. So coming up. Shannon Dreher had an in-depth conversation with Mel Stottlemyre Jr., and it's a great conversation, not only about his childhood and his time at Yankee Stadium, hanging out with Mickey Mantle, but also about uh, his thoughts on Felix Hernandez, which I found really interesting. I think you'll like it. Rick Riz is going to sit down with Nathan Carnes. They'll talk pitching, which is great. And then Josh Kearns is back with another feature. And if that wasn't enough to end things, Ernie Harwell – Uh, several years ago recorded his definition of baseball in the booth so I have that for you and again it's part of it was part of my off-season work uh, over the winter going through the archives and I'm still doing it there's still a ton to go through but uh, making things digital and I, I have found just so much gold radio gold baseball gold a lot of it centering around Dave Niehaus but Uh, Plenty of other stuff along the way. So I'll be bringing you these types of things all season long. I mean, Ernie Harwell, one of the best there was in terms of broadcasting in the the big leagues. So that comes up at the very end of the podcast. 
So let's get to it. The Mariners, after the off day yesterday in Cleveland today, 310 first pitch today, 310 first pitch tomorrow, and then 910 on Thursday. So just forewarning, there'll be no podcast on Thursday with a 910 first pitch. But we'll have one today, obviously, and tomorrow as well. So the pitching matchups I'm I'm very fascinated by. So here's how it lines up. Wade Miley is going to take the ball for the Mariners tonight, 0-1, 8-2-5 ERA. And he's going against Carlos Carrasco, 1-0 with a 3.46 ERA. The Mariners going to have their hands full. I think he's a budding star in terms of starting pitchers in the big leagues. He's right on the cusp. Last year, 3.63 ERA in 30 starts. 183 innings. He fanned 216. He was the only American League starter to strike out over 200 hitters without pitching 200 innings. That's a lot of strikeouts. That's a great strikeout rate. At the same time, only walked 43 during the course of the season. His whip just a touch over one. And he's off to a good start this year. Just a couple of games in, 13 innings, but he's fanned 13 during that stretch. An ERA of uh, near three and a half, but he's, you know, Corey Kluber gets a lot of the attention in the Indians rotation for good reason, although he's off to a struggling start so far with his ERA over six. But Carlos Carrasco, really good arm, good live stuff. And then, which makes this series so difficult for the Mariners, facing Carrasco in game one of the series, and then they have to turn around and face Danny Salazar on Wednesday. We'll talk about this matchup a little bit more, but... This is one that makes you salivate with Taiwan Walker, 2.25 ERA. He's a, a young budding star facing off with Danny Salazar, 2-0, 0.79 ERA. That's going to be a great matchup. In fact, I was looking at uh, these pitchers, Carrasco and Salazar and Walker, and just in terms of pure stuff, and as we know, velocity isn't everything, but it's something to look at with these three in particular. Because you look at so far, only a couple of starts in for each pitcher, obviously. But in the American League, for qualified starters, just pure fastball velocity. Danny Salazar is third in the American League. His fastball sits at 95 miles per hour. That's on average. Taiwan Walker is sixth at 93.5 miles per hour. He's tied with Chris Archer. And then Carlos Carrasco just a touch under that at 93.4 miles per hour. So just in terms of pure dominant stuff, we're going to see some of the best the American League has to offer the next couple of nights with Carrasco, with Walker, and with Salazar. So it's interesting how this series lines up because then the final game of the series, the day game, the quick turnaround on Thursday, Nathan Carnes will take the ball, and he'll take on Cody Anderson, 0-1 with a 5-9-1 ERA. I talk about it all the time, especially on the road. You just want to get series, and, of course, the Mariners taking the series in New York, trying to do the same against Cleveland, and probably the best bet when you map it out is trying to steal one of the first two games against Carrasco or Salazar and then put your eyes on Thursday and then try and get the series. And what's that? That's going to take either Miley or Walker matching Carrasco or Salazar. Probably take some good bullpen pitching and probably take some manufacturing 
along the way. But I'm really looking forward to this series. I think it's going to be a real good one as the Mariners take on the Cleveland Indians for three. And, again, hopefully we'll have a more in-depth look at Cleveland coming up tomorrow. And Cleveland right now off to a 5-5 five and five start, 500, uh, staring up at Kansas City, 8-4, and four, Detroit 7-4, and four, Chicago 8-5, and five, and then Minnesota trailing Cleveland, although Minnesota started the year 0-9, have now ripped off four wins in a row after winning last night. So Cleveland, a very interesting team, but – you know, stuffed in the same division with Kansas City, defending World Series champions in Detroit and Chicago and Minnesota, other teams with high expectations. So they'll be very interesting to watch, and it should be a fun matchup against Cleveland. So with that being said, let's hand things over now to Shannon Dreyer. This is an excellent conversation coming up with the pitching coach for the Mariners, Mel Stottlemyre, Jr., we all know what Felix brings to the table when it's, uh, you know, that third deck appears and, and the lights turn on. Uh, threw the ball very good last last time. I thought his fastball command was a lot better. You know, we all know he's lost a little bit of, of his fastball, uh, but he still has to use it and throw it in good spots. He still continues to be very stingy. Uh, there's times that I think that he's not in trouble when I'm wanting him to maybe throw a few more fastballs and not, you know, go too deep to the well, but he does, and, and that's the stingy part of, uh, of Felix. I thought he put everything together, you know, last game in, in the 10 strikeouts, and uh, we got him a little bit deeper, and, I, again, I thought everything uh, predicated off his fastball. You did something impressive. I mean, you got him out to throw an in-between bullpen, an actual bullpen from the mound, something that he has not done for a few years. And you're battling two things. You're battling what he thinks is right and also just he's as superstitious as they come right now. How did you get him back up on the hill in between starts? Well, you know, it, he's and that's what the great ones do. They get to know their body and their arms and their selves, and they create a really good routine. And, and you're right, he's very superstitious. The thing that I didn't, you know, and from, from my perspective, you have to tread lightly and in going in and having conversations like this with, with great pitchers. You know, you, you certainly don't want to get in their way and keep them from doing what they feel like they need to do to have success. So uh, the, the thing that I've talked to them about is, you know, hit the fastball usage. Uh, the command early wasn't real good, and he kept reminding me, you know, hey, have some patience. It'll show up during the season, you know, which is for a guy, you know, going through a, a spring training for the first time with him, I, I see what he was talking about. But... It's important to me to make sure he has a handle on his fastball. He just can't withstand the punishment of hard pitches throughout the course of the game. And let's face it, you know, guys will try to, to jump his fastball early and they'll, they'll sit soft late. So with that in mind, I want to make sure when he, when he does throw his fastball, they're in good spots. You know, there's times that, that guys, when they throw a lot of secondary pitches, they, they tend to lose a little bit off their fastball. So when we get up and we do our side days, it's 15 fastballs to both sides of the plate, and uh, he's been good about it. So now, you know, he, he come off his 10-strikeout game and, and threw very well. He reminds he wants to know when his side day is. So <laughs> he is very superstitious, you're right. Positive reinforcement. One of the things I love to saw this in spring training, I saw it again a couple of days ago with Nathan Carnes, you'll get back there and you'll catch your pitchers. I like to see things from the other end. It's Although I've had, uh, uh, I think, four knee surgeries, so it's a little tougher for me to get down. But, uh, you know, you can see a lot from that end. The action of the ball, 
you know, whether they're convicted or committed in, into the pitch and you could see the mechanically how, how they're working. So I do like to get back there every now and then when I can. The guys that throw splits, I, I stay away from getting back there. And, and we have a few of those guys. Guys like Tony Zick, I'm, I'm a little leery of getting back there. But, uh, you know, with those guys that have decent command and their stuff's, you know, not uh, boring down or in or, or, or afraid of a ball bouncing, I get back there and catch them. You know, lastly, the pitchers have been very complimentary of the catchers, and they're both new and they're both still learning. Chris Ionetta said that last night. There was a lot of learning with Nathan Carnes last night. What do you see from your catchers? The, the most glaring thing that, uh, you know, make, makes me smile, makes me happy is, is they're open-minded. And to be able to have conversations and not take things personal. You know, Chris Ionetta's got a, got a great track record uh, of being a good pitch caller, and he still remains open. To, to ideas, and, and I like that. We can have conversations about our guys as we're all getting uh, to learn our guys and to try to find out what makes them tick or you know, what words we can give that guy to get him locked back in. So we're all on the same page there. You know, they're good bitch callers. They take interest in their games. They, they go in and they watch videos, and we sit down and we talk about game plans and stuff. Uh, it, it's a great situation here. Today we continue with Mel Stottlemyre Jr., who spent a good amount of his childhood in the Yankees clubhouse with his dad, Mel Stottlemyre Sr. Growing up in uh, Yankee Stadium as a kid was a dream, you know, for my brothers and I. Out in the outfield shagging and hanging out with guys like Mickey Mantle and Thurman Munson, who was one of my idols, you know, Whitey Ford, Yogi Berra, all the great names. You know, it wasn't until later on in life where I, I really reflected back and, and, and pinched myself a little bit and realized what, what a very fortunate, lucky life that I have growing up here. What do you remember about Mantle? Well, Mickey loved to fish, and uh, also he, he was a prankster, you know, <laughs> as, as was my dad. So uh, we got along real well. But, you know, back in the day, the, the guys, they, they were regular people. They, they loved to play cards. They had fun. Uh, they smiled. They, you know, jacked around a lot. It's uh, in a very close-knit uh, close-knit ball club but uh, you know the thing that Mickey took took the time to, to take my brother and I fishing in spring trainings and uh, you know it's pretty special. What was it about Munson? I know that he was just very storied in this franchise. Thurman was a little more on the serious side okay. very hard-nosed player I always admired that and, and even noticed that as a young as a young kid uh, and Thurman another guy who lo- loved to fish and, and took my brothers and I uh, fishing and took the time you know to spend with us as kids, uh, in my brothers and I's eyes, we had a lot of uh, a lot of fathers, a lot of dads around, and they they treated us like their own kids. So, mm-hmm. I, I just I love the way Thurman played the game and uh, and what he brought to to the table. Your father, uh, you look up the numbers, and they were pretty incredible. A multiple twenty game winner under lifetime three ERA. What was he as a pitcher? You know, I remember Dad always talking to Todd and I about starting and finishing games, something that's uh, kind of is, has been lost in this day and age. And I know that, uh, you know, the importance of bullpens and the money that we pay our guys, it's, it's a different ball game. But uh, you look back at the, uh, the amount of starts and complete games and innings that, that uh, guys like my dad pitched back then, you know, and they prepared themselves a little different too with not only physically but their, their mindset. So, you know, my, my dad was... Uh, very calm demeanor and laid-back guy off the field and in between the lines he was very tenacious and uh, he loved to compete and, and loved to win. 
Leslie, what would you like to take from that era? And I'm sure that's influenced you. What would you like to, to kind of share with the pictures that you have? You know, I, I talk to guys sometimes <clears throat> about that for the ones that really know me, guys like Wade Miley and, you know, uh, Felix, who was around my dad. We share those moments. It's, uh, you know, the game is still the game, but, I, 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 you know, things have changed. Money, free agency, and all that. And uh, I want to make sure that these guys really enjoy and ha- have that passion for competing and, and enjoy doing what they, you know, what they do and uh, realize how fortunate they are. Uh, I think that gets lost sometimes, and I look back at, at the old-time players, and they played for the love of the game, you know. It, it's, they love to compete, and, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't always about the money, and I, I wish some of those great players would have had an opportunity to make what some of these guys make now, and some of them are, a lot of them are gone now, but some of them are, you know, uh, I'm not going to say they're struggling, but these, the players of today, you know, they, they put their time in, and they're going to be set for life, and that wasn't the case for, for some of those great players back then. No, you're setting a great example and sharing great stories with them. That's so fantastic to know. It's not just what they do out there. Yeah, you're, you're right. It's uh, And, again, I'm, you know, I pinch myself. I've been very mm-hmm. blessed to, to be exposed to a lot of great players and been around the game for a long time. And I hope that I could just you know pass some of that on to some of these young players and, and, and have maybe some little part mean something to them. So that was a fun one. <laughs> I mean, people have stories but fishing with Mickey Mantle and hanging out with Yogi Berra, I mean, that's that's incredible stuff. Now we're going to hand things over to Rick Riz as he sits down with Nathan Carnes. Chance to visit with Mariners starting pitcher Nathan Carnes. A great job the other night against the Yankees here in New York. Picked up his first win in a Mariner uniform after winning seven games last year with Tampa Bay. Nathan, tell me a little bit about what does it take to be a good starting pitcher anywhere but especially in the big leagues? Well, you just got to, first off, you have to love the game. You got to appreciate your craft. You got to enjoy what you do or else it's going to be tough if you don't do it, if you're doing what you don't love. Um, two, you got to be confident in yourself. Even when times are going tough, you got to know that deep down inside, you're capable of doing anything you need to do out there and you just got to believe in yourself. And third and third and final, enjoy your time out there with your teammates. It's a special time to be out there between the white lines. And, you know, even though you're playing, there could be a play that another, it could be a great play for someone else. And just to be in the front row on the mound to see all those plays firsthand is just it's a very special place to be out there talking about being tough one of the things you just mentioned by the way all great points for kids to learn to be a good pitcher second and third nobody out and you, you end up striking out the side there in the bottom of the fourth they knew how in the world did you do that to get through a tough time like that uh, i just stuck it out i believed in myself i and believed in myself and we we executed our pitches um we didn't give in um we just made our pitches that we felt like we needed to make, and everything went our way, and it was a very special moment out there. Tell me a little bit about throwing a fastball. Is, is one of the most important things you need to do as a pitcher, control that fastball on both sides of the plate, and how do you do that? You know, definitely locating your fastball is very big in this game. Throwing strikes is what allows you to be able to throw your secondary pitches and have them be effective. Um, what was the second part of your question? About controlling it on both sides of the plate? Yeah, I mean, definitely. When you're able to control your fastball, I mean, that's a difficult pitch to hit. And when you're locating that and you're working ahead, and then now the hitter is like, all right, is his fastball he's locating very well today or am I going to have to hit his nasty off speed? So, you know, just being able to locate opens up, you know, options for your other pitches and also gets in the mind of the hitters knowing that, you know, at any pitch it could be coming. So it's difficult for the hitters at that time. You have an outstanding curveball. The age-old question, Nathan, is, 
you know, when should a kid start throwing a curveball? And when did you start throwing one? I'm not sure when a kid should start throwing a curveball. I'm not a big fan unless you're probably upper levels of high school, junior, senior year. Um, I feel at that point, locating your fastball, maybe throwing a changeup is more than enough at that at that talent level. And, you know, you want to you let the kids mature. So I think until you're fully mature, you know, and, you know, learn how to throw a curveball before just trying to throw one. It, it makes a big difference. L- listen to someone who knows what they're talking about and, and, you know, take time. Realize that locating your fastball is more important than trying to find a curveball. How do you throw your changeup? I try to throw it as hard as I can. Uh, I hold it like a two seam with my ring finger and middle finger. Uh, index fingers curled up for a circle changeup. And my pinky is, I think, on the outside, more of the side of the ball. And uh, it's just more of arm action like your fastball. Same, same arm action, same speed, and different results, though. As a kid growing up, were you always a pitcher, or did that come a little bit later on for you? That came a little later on. I was more a position catcher, third base type of player. Um, I really I really wasn't pitching until about 8th, ninth grade. Just be, The only reason that kind of came about is because I was just able to throw the ball harder than most kids at the time. And then uh, I was able to take it from you know just being able to throw hard to locating and also adding a few other pitches to my repertoire. So um, not, I was a late bloomer, late bloomer. <laughs> What's the best part of your job? Everything about it. Coming to the ballpark, uh, putting smiles on fans' faces, enjoying special moments with my teammates, um, learning from some of the best players in the game that are on our staff. So it's just the, the accumulation of people I've seen on TV that now that I get to meet, call them teammates, coaches, um, and also watch some of the best players in the world play on a daily basis. That is my favorite thing about this game. We, watched, uh, we enjoyed watching your enjoyment the other night. Uh, best advice for a kid who wants to pitch? Have fun. It, it doesn't all come to you in a day. So enjoy the journey and uh, see how see how good you can get every day out there. Nathan, thank you so much for the visit here on Rick's Tips. Thank you, Riz. And finally, so happy to have Josh Kearns back again. And here he, he, here he is with another excellent, excellent feature. All right, you ready? When Nelson Cruz or Robinson Cano hit a shot down the line, it's like a bullet. For the last two seasons, Puyallup native Ashley Maswell has been among those willing to get in front of those blistering balls as they come screaming into foul territory. When you're sitting there you know, and you see a ball come screaming at you, what are you thinking? You don't have time to think. You just kind of react and then think about it afterwards. So basically you're just reacting to the ball. And then afterwards you're just like, Ooh, I'm glad I got that. Uh, that was scary. Ashley's one of about a dozen fearless young women hired each season to snag foul balls and protect the fans. And it's no easy gig to get. Two more. Michael Hilburn is the senior manager of Ballpark Operations. He says about 60 girls are invited from among hundreds of applicants to the tryouts that took place in a cold, empty Safeco field. The tryout consists of a game day experience where they're actually going to field foul balls. We'll see how they do there, and then a regular job interview like they would for any position here at Safeco Field. There's no pulling punches. The Mariners' Steve Belling hits ground balls and line drives as hard as he can, bouncing them off the wall, sending the girls diving just like they would in a real game. I'm not taking it easy, no. We'll do five warm-ups, but then uh, we, we go live and we try to give them a game-like experience. So I hit them as hard as I can. You can tell I'm a little winded after that last one already. So Even though all these girls have played college, high school, or select softball, it can still be pretty intimidating. Fife native Randy Bushnell, a catcher at Missouri Valley College, says it's a lot different getting balls fired at you while three judges and belling watch closely i mean you look at like the stand you're like whoa i'm not i'm not used to this i'm used to like you know little bleachers and small softball field and
and here it's a whole different story. Not to mention a whole different ball, smaller, faster, and harder. But Bellingham native Brienne Locke told the judges it was a chance of a lifetime to even try, and she wasn't about to miss it. Why did you want to apply to be a ball girl? My whole family has been a huge fan forever. And I just happened to be on Instagram, and I saw the application. I was like, wait, you can apply to be these? I thought you had to, like, know someone to get in. And I saw it, and I was like, okay, I, I have to do this. This is, like, a once-in-a-lifetime chance. Why not me? Two more. In addition to working on the field, the chosen few also joined the Mariners Fielder program, staffing different stadium attractions and handing out promotional materials. Their performances were impressive, making it a tough decision for the judges. They all have an athletic background. They have great skills, and uh, you have to to uh, ensure the safety of fans around them. So you got to bring the glove, you got to have quick feet, and uh, yeah, they're, they're excellent. Do you guys have any questions for? You. Are you a Thank freshman? You. I'm a freshman, yes, in college. What, what made you choose Missouri? The athletic scholarship. While Ashley hopes to return for her third and final season, Brianna is hopeful she'll get a shot at her first. Between her enthusiasm and skill with the glove, she put on a strong showing. All of her hard work getting ready for her big tryout paying off. Before, I was terrified. I was like, oh, my God, like they're going to hit them so hard. But um, practicing with my dad and my brother and a couple of my other friends, they hit harder <laughs> at me. I, like, broke half my nail. I had a giant bruise on my ankle. So I think that really prepared me. Them just nailing those balls <laughs> at my face. Luckily, the girls rarely get so much as a bruise. But after watching Bri and the others, there's no doubt they can handle whatever's thrown at them. Or should I say hit. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. For the Mariners Sunday Magazine, I'm Josh Kearns. Uh, this is a baseball definition I wrote back in 1955 when I worked at Baltimore, and I know that uh, over the years the names of the villains and the heroes have changed a lot, and a lot of other things have changed about baseball, but I think between the lines, the spirit of the game is pretty much the same. And here's my definition. Baseball is a president tossing out the first ball of the season and a pudgy schoolboy playing catch with his dad on the Mississippi farm. A tall, thin old man waving a scorecard from the corner of his dugout, that's baseball. And so is a big fat guy with a bulbous nose running home one of his 714 home runs. There's a man in Mobile who remembers the triple that Hannes Wagner hit in Pittsburgh 46 years ago. That's baseball. And so is a scout reporting that a 16-year-old Sandlot pitcher in Cheyenne is a coming Walter Johnson. Baseball is a spirited race of man against man, reflex against reflex. A game of inches, every skill is measured, every heroic is seen, cheered, or booed, and then becomes a statistic. In baseball, democracy shines its clearest. The only race that matters is a race to the bag. The creed is a rule book and color merely something to distinguish one team's uniform from another. Baseball is a rookie, his experience no bigger than the lump in his throat as he begins fulfillment of his dream. It's a veteran, too, a tired old man of 35, hoping that those aching muscles can pull it through another sweltering August and September. Nicknames are baseball, names like Zeke and Pie and Kai Kai and Home Run and Dizzy and Dazzy. Baseball is a clear, cool eyes of Rogers Hornsby, the flashing spikes of a Ty Cobb, and an overage pixie named Rabbit Miranda. Baseball is just a game as simple as a ball and bat, and yet as complex as the American spirit it symbolizes. It's a sport, a business, sometimes almost even religion. 
The fairy tale of Willie Mays making a brilliant World Series catch, then dashing off to play stickball in the streets with his teenage pals. That's baseball. So is a husky voice of a doomed Lou Gehrig saying, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Baseball is cigar smoke, hot roasted peanuts, sporting news, ladies' day, down in front. Take me out to the ball game, the seventh inning stretch, and the star-spangled banner. Baseball is a man named Campanella telling the nation's business leaders, you have to be a man to be a big leaguer, but you have to have a lot of little boy in you too. This is a game for America, this baseball, a game for boys and for men. See you later!